0: The Weigelcast is part of the Hashtag Pressing Program, presented by GE. Welcome to Slate's interview podcast, The Weigelcast. I'm Slate's political reporter, Dave Weigel, and my guests this week are the men behind the Super PAC to end all Super PACs, Lawrence Lessig and Mark McKinnon. Lessig is a professor at Harvard Law School, and McKinnon is a political strategist who works with both parties in the nonpartisan group, No Labels. Together, they've launched Mayday PAC, Their goal? Raise millions of dollars through crowdfunding and matching donations. If they succeed, they'll make campaign refinance reform an issue in this year's elections and make it impossible for any candidate to defend the current big money system. I'd like you to, if you could, respond to one of the sillier criticisms of the overall idea behind this, if not your effort in particular. Uh, When this sort of campaign finance reform is proposed... First, I heard Ted Cruz and then a couple other conservatives I cover describe any limitation on the current system as a repeal of the First Amendment. Explain why that's wrong. I wonder if that might be a good place to start.
1: Here's the thing. We're not talking about limiting anybody's speech. We're talking about changing the way campaigns raise their money. So if we change the way they raise their money so that they're raising money not from the tiniest fraction of the 1%, but from the widest range of Americans, that's including more people in the process of speaking. It's not um, putting caps on what individuals um, could contribute. Um, my own personal view, and this is not necessarily the view of, you know, the uh, McKinnon uh, or the PAC, uh, my own personal view is that um, we shouldn't worry about the problem of individuals being able to spend whatever they want individually or even corporations spending whatever they want individually because it turns out those entities are shy. The one thing we need to worry about is when they're allowed to give unlimited contributions to super PACs. But all of that is separate from what the, the, the Mayday PAC is trying to do. We're trying to change the way campaigns are funded.
0: Could you run through the actual reforms you're asking for and how you came you settled on this very purple collection of ideas?
1: Um, yeah, so we, we basically highlighted five reforms on Reform.to. All of them would change the way elections are funded by emphasizing and encouraging and supporting uh, small-dollar-funded elections. So the two that we've called Democratic um, are matching grant proposals. For a candidate who chooses to fund exclusively in small-dollar ways would give the candidate a 9-to-1 match, so $100 would be worth $1,000 to that candidate. The Republican proposals that we identified... um, It says, you know, this is called the Taxation uh, with Representation Act. It says we shouldn't be taxed unless we're represented. We're not represented so long as the funders are the dominant, uh, you know, the small group of funders fund campaigns. So it says we should give every voter a $200 voucher that they can use to fund small-dollar campaigns. And with that voucher, therefore, uh, the wide range of Americans are relevant and not the tiny fraction of the 1%. And the other idea, um, which is a tax credit, so the point is all four of these are ideas which would increase the participants, the number of people funding elections.
2: Yeah, and just to make it more accountable to a broader spectrum of voters and to make it broadly more democratic. If, if, if people running for Congress or incumbent congressmen are spending 30 to 70% of their time raising money and they're, and they're spending that time raising money from the tiniest fraction of 1%, then I think the consequences of the, those conversations and, and inevitable influence are, are quite obvious. And so, by spreading by spreading the range of, of funders, it spreads the range of the discussion uh, and, and becomes more broadly democratic just by, by its very nature.
0: Uh, anyone who's listening can go to reform.to and read more about the pack and, and, and read about them. But could you run through the actual reforms you're asking for and how you came you settled on this? very purple collection of ideas.
1: Absolutely. These changes, um, small-dollar public-funded elections, whether through tax credits, through vouchers, or through matching grants, have been repeatedly upheld by the courts. And even this Supreme Court has consistently said that public funding is a perfectly fine way to deal with uh, problems of influence in an election. And indeed, this Supreme Court should be more excited about something like a voucher proposal or a matching proposal, because those proposals do not in any way achieve equality between the two sides in a political campaign. Um, You know, the amount of money you get um, is a function of how much you can inspire people to give you, uh, whether it's a voucher or in small contributions, as opposed to the presidential public funding system, which basically, once you qualify, both sides get the same amount of money. Um, You know, that is an equality system. So, So this Supreme Court has repeatedly said you can spend money to... To facilitate more speech, um, it struck down a couple cases where the amount of money you got to spend was a function of what the other side said or did.
0: The Wyckoffcast is part of the hashtag pressing program presented by GE. Hashtag pressing is working with some of the country's best news organizations to bring you thoughtful discussions of policy, not heated arguments about politics. I'd like to thank GE for making the program possible. And when it comes to how it's being funded and set up, I mean, it's interesting that the board is separate from the big funders uh, of this pack. So you're asking, and you know, with success, people to spend a lot of money on something that they are not going to try to manipulate the board level. What is What have you found, uh, a question for both of you, about wealthy people from Silicon Valley? They're not actually, it doesn't seem like they're angling for any particular Outcome for themselves, They're trying to limit their their own ability to spend money on candidates. If, if this if this succeeds, what is it that has attracted Silicon Valley to to this idea, knowing that they can you know, if they if they support it, they're not going to be on the board. They're not. They're just going to watch it go.
1: You want to lead on that, Mark?
2: Well, I, I think that that testifies to the, to the fact that they're willing to uh get on board a proposal that that ultimately could hurt their own influence they I, I think they're entrepreneurs many of them are republicans or and libertarians uh conservatives uh that uh you know they 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 want a, a true free enterprise system and what they see now is what you know and again, and again increasingly republicans like Michael Lee are starting to talk about which is is the product of crony capitalism it's not a free market and the you know these are people who have succeeded uh in markets that are that are free, and so they 're looking at washington and they they see that it 's completely gamed uh and it 's a product of the influence of money and so they're say they say take away our weapons and we 're happy to we're happy to compete on a completely level playing field that 's what we want we don 't want an advantage we don't want we don't want anybody in the system to have an advantage because that 's the way we were successful
1: yeah, I think that's right and and what I find striking is that um you know people are really skeptical when you say Somebody is acting in a way that's actually not directly in their interest, um, especially rich people. But, you know, there are a lot of people in our society who, who step forward and do things um, because they think it's good for the nation, not necessarily good for themselves. And that's this dynamic. These people, if we're successful, the billionaires in particular who are spending money to support us, um, will have less political influence than they do right now. Completely plausible to me that they would say to themselves, I think it 's better for America that I have less political influence and others like me have less political influence because we can see right now that the system uh, the way it is uh, makes it almost impossible to govern um, so they 're stepping up and they 're doing something which uh, is, is if we succeed, good for the country, if not necessarily good for them
0: I guess that 's why some of these people are funding it, and that uh, can you go through the the structure you've you've created in order to build this, in order to bring more people into the system, uh, have their have their funds matched. Is that something you've seen work in other in other fields? Because in in politics, it's 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 it seems completely unique. And I, honestly, it seems like one thing that's hamstrung a couple of the reform efforts that they've had a very very predictable way of trying to raise money. You can You talk through how you how you're you're trying to to fund Mayday to to the point where it's it's a force to be reckoned with.
1: Now, well, we, you know, the idea of doing a kickstart-like campaign seemed to me uh, early on pretty obvious because, you know, you have to believe that there's enough uh, in the game to make it worth it to contribute, right? So, if you know, we said, you know, on day one, if we said to people, look, contribute your money, if we get a million dollars, then we'll be able to go out and do something with it. People would say, yeah, well, you're never going to get a million dollars, so why should I put my hundred dollars out there just so it, you know, gets wasted on whatever. Um, but if you get to kickstart it, you know, people can say, "Okay, I'm willing to contribute as long as I know there's enough in there to do something with it." Um, and one thing we discovered very quickly, though, is that none of the kickstart-like um, engines out there actually support political giving. Um, we originally were talking to Kickstarter, which has a rule against politics, but then they were willing to think about relaxing the rule, but. They didn't have the technical infrastructure for collecting the kind of data that the FEC requires, um, and we hit the same thing with uh, uh, Indiegogo, which is another major um, Kickstarter-like site.
0: Sometimes, when uh, this subject comes up for Republicans, and think of John McCain in particular, uh, when any reform is proposed, they say, "Well, there's no point in changing the way wealthy individuals can give it politically, as long as." The code still allows unions to give unlimited amounts. This is this is only only fair. That seems to be the demand, at least McCain to, to name someone uh, is making before he comes to the table on more reforms. Where where are you on that?
1: Well, my own view, I'd be interested to see what Mark uh, thinks about this. But my own view is um, the rules should apply to unions just like anybody. Um, but unions are a little bit different, so I don't think unions should be able to um, make unlimited contributions. Corporation, the, you know the. Corporate form of the union to make unlimited contributions to a super PAC, just like I don't think individuals or other companies should be able to make unlimited contributions to a super PAC. But I don't have any problem with people, you know, getting together um, within the limits of um, contributions to these entities and contributing to them. So, you know, in my view, there could be a um, there could be an NRA uh, independent political action committee. Which takes contributions that would be capped at some level um, um, from hundreds of thousands of the members of the NRA. There could be a Planned Parenthood version. All of these, I, I think, are completely fine, and there could be a union version too. The reason why those are okay, in my view, is that um, this is just the way democracy works. People individually step up and make contributions or commitments of their time or their money in a way that's, you know, relatively. Common across the you know the range of citizens
2: yeah i I, I would just echo that you know i I, I personally would like to see more c four reforms because I think so so much of the disclosure is tucked away under c four shields, uh, but uh, I just wanted to echo back to the uh, earlier question too, Dave, which is that 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 model that we 're using really is kind of a Silicon Valley model, you know they like to kind of do an in initial. Blush. See if you get a you know see if, see if you get a, a, a traction, and then they'll come in and and uh, match it. And that's that's the way a lot of the startup companies actually work. And that's why I think we've gotten a lot of interest from the Silicon Valley folks.
0: What has happened with campaign finance reform in 2014 compared to 2000 when this was a galvanizing issue? For years after that, I mean, it was such a galvanizing issue that. Uh, George Bush signed McCain-Feingold in kind of the hope that the Supreme Court might strike it down, but with the awareness that it was too popular uh, to go against. And mm-hmm. Professor Lessig, you marched in New Hampshire to, ra- to raise awareness of, not made it exactly, but raise awareness of the problem of, of corruption. New Hampshire has a Senate race where Scott Brown, who just had signed a campaign finance pledge in his last campaign, is not signing one this time. What has happened? What is the reason for the the lack of salience of this issue compared to a generation ago?
1: Gosh, is that a whole generation? Um, well, <laughs> maybe half a generation.
0: <laughs> um, it feels that long.
1: Yeah, I mean, 2000, 1999 and two thousand were the kind of golden days for reform. You had uh, you had John McCain in, in uh, um, ninety nine, June of ninety nine, launching his campaign in Bedford, uh, talking about the system of corruption in Washington. Um, um, you had. Granny D uh, launching her march across the United States with her campaign finance reform sign on her chest. At the age of 88, she arrived at the age of 90 in Washington D.C. 3,200 miles later, um, and everybody was pushing to the reform. And the reform they were thinking of was what became McCain-Feingold. And I think what happened is the community, the reform community, thought, "Okay, we did it. That's it. We got McCain-Feingold." My own view is that there's a very important strategic decision about campaign finance reform, which is whether you're trying to restrict people's ability to participate or enable people to participate more fully.
2: Yeah, David, I'd I just say, obviously, in sort of the arc of this whole issue that Citizens United had a huge impact, I would also say it's my view that there's sort of a reflexive Republican theology up until fairly recently, which is simply... This system is uh, is working for us. It's, an, it's been an advantage for us. We win when we have the rules in place, or sort of post Citizens United. But I think that 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 has I think there's a lot of mythology in that, and that increasingly we've seen in you know in the last cycle that Democrats uh, figured out just as just as well and often outspent Republicans, and certainly more effectively. And on top of that, I think that uh again because of the outcome of the 2012 presidential election the republicans are in a position where they are really you know with whether it's the uh the the RNC growth and opportunity project or a lot of others there's a lot of discussion and analysis about what's wrong with the republican brand and and uh, it's my view and and i think shared by a lot of others that uh, an association with big money is a, is a part of the brand problem so uh, i think increasingly we're going to see people you know, like Mike Lee, who's talking about crony capitalism, and others, shift in the right direction here, uh, that that's going to kind of bend this arc back the other way, back toward where we were, you know, 10, 12 years ago.
0: And that's it for this week's Wogglecast. Thanks to our producer, Alexis Dial, to Slade's senior producer, Mike Bolo, to Andy Bouvet for recording this episode, and to the executive producer of Slade's podcast, Andy Bowers. If you like what you hear, please review us on iTunes and check out the ever-growing Cosmos of Slates podcast. I'm Dave Weigel, and I'll see you next week.